Welcome to Short Course, episode 95, for March 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This week, I wanted to offer a general framework for analyzing issues, something that I think can be applied to all kinds of things in the sport, gear, rules, policy, everything, as well as anywhere else in your life. But we'll stick to the sport for for, for the purposes of this discussion. And the separation or the dichotomy or the, the framework that that I think the lens that I want to look at things through today that I think tells you about the people making the decisions is the difference between novelty and mastery. So novelty I'll define as basically changing stuff just for just to change it, just for something different. Whereas mastery, generally speaking, involves doing the same thing over and over again so that you can discern the small differences, learn what needs to change, and make only those strategic changes. So both involve changing things. Even in the process of mastery, you're still having little nuances. But in my experience, as you as you gain mastery, the changes become more and more subtle. So in your technique, you know, the first week that you dry fire, you might make some huge gains, some huge realizations. And in the, after five years, you're still going to be dry firing, but you're probably going to be making smaller and smaller discoveries, but that do unlock the, the next level for you. And I mean, as an aside, this is one of the reasons that hit factor scoring is objectively one of, you know, better than a, a time plus style of scoring because as the scores get higher it actually recognizes the importance of of smaller and smaller improvements so speeding up uh, half a second on a five second run is as significant as speeding up a second on a 10 second run so as you get faster smaller and smaller increases in time actually become more valuable whereas in time plus you know a tenth of a second is a tenth of a second no matter what. So given assuming, which I think is pretty easy to assume that mastery follows a a diminishing returns curve, the longer you spend, the the smaller and smaller gains you're going to be making, never quite reaching zero, but approaching zero. You want a scoring system that, that, that matches that. And I think hit factor does that. And there's a whole other discussion about how we could possibly even enhance that. Uh, you know, ways to better separate, you know, some of these, uh, some of these nationals and even even world shoots that have been very very tight down to you know within a tenth of a percent of each other. But anyway, that is way off topic for for today. So first, we'll, we'll talk through this in in a number of scenarios, use cases, case studies, that kind of thing. So the the first case study here is the guy at your local match who's always changing guns, right? He is obviously chasing novelty. One of the one of the hallmarks of novelty is you're swapping one thing for something else that's not obviously better. If you if you're making a jump from something that's obviously inferior to something obviously superior, that's not really chasing novelty, right? If some guy shows up and he's shooting his his first match with a, a Glock 19 and after a few matches, he switches to a Glock 17 or a Glock 34, right? Something 
a full-size gun, a little bit long, more sight radius, a little bit longer slide, maybe a little more slide mass. That's not chasing novelty because he's, it's not like it's a new gun. It doesn't really shoot all that dramatically differently. But he is gaining some some noticeable performance. Whereas if you have the guy who goes from a SIG to a Canic to a Glock to a Beretta to whatever, every you know three, four months you run into him, he's shooting some different gun, and he never really settles on any one of them long enough to really work out the kinks and get good. That guy, he's chasing novelty. And don't get me wrong, that does not hurt my feelings at all. If people, if that's what people find fun, if there are people in the sport that enjoy hopping guns, hopping divisions, more power to them. I, I don't I don't want this to sound like I'm hating on those people. I just think that someone with that mindset, applying that novelty-seeking mindset to the rules and the high-level decisions that need to be made for the health of the sport, applying a novelty mindset, a novelty-seeking mindset at that level is not helpful. At the very least, we need a good balance between novelty and mastery at the top level. And as you'll hear from the rest of this episode, I, I think we've been pretty squarely in the novelty camp for quite a while. So, but to, to return to our first case study here. So in contrast to the guy that's always switching guns, never really gets the hang of one. He's always dealing with maybe it's magazine issues or, you know, extractors or front sights falling off the gun or whatever, because he's always buying a new thing and he never, he never gets a chance to debug it. Obviously on the other hand of the spectrum, you have the guy that switches guns every few years or maybe every five or 10 years. We all know these guys. I mean, I've been shooting 10 folios since 2016. I don't really see a huge reason to, to switch to anything else. I, I could, I could sell them all and buy shadow twos or buy canic rival S's or, or something else. But at this point I know them, they're comfortable. I have the holsters and the mags and the mag pouches and, and I just, I know them. And so the learning, the time I would spend the six months, a year, whatever it would be to get to that same level of familiarity with any other gun would be time I would be spending not practicing, not improving. Not that I'm spending a ton of time practicing or improving right now, but what little time I do have, I would like to spend with boring old gear, just trying to get better with, with that gear, changing to something new that's not demonstrably manifestly better at this point would, would be a waste of time. It would be fun. No doubt about it. Like if I, if I just wanted to stop, you know, really chasing being competitive and dick around, then yeah, jump divisions, buy some other fun gun and, and just, just be a tourist. I, obviously any, any social media influencer, whether it's like a, you know, a YouTube gun reviewer guy who's always shooting a different gun for whatever they're reviewing or someone writing USPSA magazine articles where they're always shooting a different gun. Obviously, this is a this is novelty seeking behavior. This is not mastery. This is not picking one thing and working on it. And that's the problem is honestly, mastery is is really boring. You you might get books out of it, but you can rarely get a, an interesting magazine article. You can't write six magazine articles a, a year about, hey, here's the new nuance that I learned with my Tanfolio stock twos that I've been shooting for six years. Like they, it's it doesn't really work that way. So if you're trying to generate content, then yeah, novelty definitely helps. Now for our second case study here, where should a nationals be located? So obviously the, the mastery answer is you should have one spot and it, you should 
basically just hold it there every time and you can get really, really good. You can figure out all the match flow hiccups. You can figure out everybody knows how to get there, where to stay. And you can just get, you can really finely hone how you run a nationals, that one location. And I will say, I think this is something that, that USPSA has, has been doing pretty well. I mean, I think the, the CMP marksmanship range at Talladega has its drawbacks, mostly that you can't shoot before 9am and there aren't enough bays. Although I think I saw a picture of new bay construction going on. So potentially they might have something like 20 bays in the next few months or a year or two, or who knows, I'm assuming it'll be five more bays, like the the three groups of five that they have now, but we'll see. But to, to some degree, having as many matches as we've had at, at a single range undeniably, I think has, has been a good decision. And there are all kinds of logistical and contractual things that, that lead towards this. But I mean, th- this applies at, at all levels. I think, for example, having had the, the Carolina classic at the same range for three years, I think this year, yeah, this year will be the, the fourth year that it's being held there. It'll be the third year in a row that area six has been there, which does, does get to the, the other problem of having a match, especially a lower level match in the same place, which is that you do tend to, you do tend to burn out your, your local folks. So sometimes you have to move things around after a few years because you just people, you know, two or three years, they, they start to hit a limit again. Everything is a balance here, but yeah, I think certainly if you were trying to just run something like a factory production line, you would want to keep as much as you could the same year to year at, at the local level, at the area level, at the nationals level, and you would rotate around basically as, as logistics required. Now, on the other hand, you have the people and, and this, I've never really seen this argument get a lot of traction, but they're, you know, the people who say, you know, nationals should be in a different place every year because people want to travel around. Or I remember there was some serious discussion about, well, each year, you know, we should have two nationals, like an optics and an irons or a high cap, low cap. We should do some kind of two nationals split and each nationals, we should do one on each coast. So you can, you know, people on each, each side of the country have a chance to go to nationals, which to me is, I mean, it's kind of puzzling as someone, at least at the time who primarily shot production, whether I'm going to go to production nationals, wherever it is, that's my main division. If limited nationals was right down the road for me. Yeah, maybe I would shoot it, but it's this idea that people are going to choose to shoot a nationals based on geographic convenience versus the division that they focus on in the sport. That is, that is obviously a novelty focused mindset. Whereas to me, you should have nationals in a consistent place that has not necessarily luxurious amenities, but it has places to stay. It has food to eat. It, it, the range can accommodate the, the size of nationals you want, which again, I think is, is the main drawback to CMP, which they're working on, but you, you don't, anybody who, who talks about, you know, moving nationals around for variety, that's obviously a novelty focused mindset. And I think that is counterproductive to a mastery focus. Now that said, this is one of those places where it is good to have a backup plan. So I can see wanting to, for example, have a, another nationals level facility where you have at least run a nationals once a year or in the last two years. So for example, having, having a nationals at the Cardinal shooting center in Ohio, 
you know, if something were to happen to the Talladega range or vice versa, you you have a backup. What you don't want in, in any kind of mastery scenario, you don't want to be in a position where you you every all your eggs are in one basket and then something happens and and it breaks. Now, obviously in the case of something like guns, this is why we have backup guns. This is not really an issue, be, assuming that you can get more than one of your gun. Now, in this is this is one of the reasons that for example, mastery focus guys sometimes shy away from a, a custom gun division like open because the cost to having a, a backup gun that's set up exactly the same, if it's a seven, eight thousand dollar open gun, it's a much higher cost of commitment. For someone who's just in it for the novelty where they just buy the one gun and if it runs, it runs and it doesn't, uh, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But but the, the this is this is part of the reason that you tend to, and I'm not saying there aren't guys that take open seriously but you you tend to see at least you used to see uh, a real strong contingency of mastery minded guys in a division like production where you can have three or four guns all set up exactly the same for the cost of what a, a limited gun might cost and so you know i'm thinking here of say glock 34s or something you know polymer frame gun that you can get for six or seven hundred dollars where you're looking at 2600 2800 for a, an entry level limited gun again these these prices are kind of fast and loose but but you see where i'm getting at there's a there's a certain paradoxical effect where you would think someone chasing mastery would want the the most finely tuned tool but in fact in some cases having spares and having backups and being able to just set them up all the same and not being vulnerable to any one of them going down is actually the result of more of a, a mastery focused mindset. So in, in the case of nationals, I think it's totally reasonable to have the nationals spread out among a few venues, not necessarily for geographic reasons. I mean, it's Ohio and Alabama are both. If you were driving from somewhere like California, driving to Ohio and driving to Alabama would be roughly equivalent. So it's not like it's, it's that much easier or, or harder for anyone on that basis, but it's it's good to have backups. And then you look at something like limited optics, where this is something, so this is a division that recognizes guns that are already legal in the sport. You could already shoot any limited optics gun in open if you wanted to. So th this division will not make it so that people who could not, who literally could not compete before can participate. This just creates a new carve out where they and other people with similar guns that are not that meaningfully different from existing carry optics guns can can compete against each other. And so you have to ask yourself, who is the type of person who looking at the existing set of rules would not just say, well, I might like to shoot my 2011, but I'm not going to do it. I refuse to either get a steel frame striker gun like a Walther Q5, a rival steel frame, an MMP steel frame. I refuse to get any of those striker guns. I refuse to get a double single gun. I must have a 2011 with a slide right. That is that is a novelty focused mindset. That is somebody who just either wants a new toy or has the new toy and it's something that they haven't shot before or all their buddies don't have, right? It's it, the mastery focused mindset says, what's my goal? I want to compete in a division that meets these things. What do I have to do to to actually fit in there? What are the rules? What do I have to do? 
let me make sure I comply with them just so I'm on an equal footing with everybody else. And then it's about practice. It's about going out and shooting. It's not about buying stuff or spending time tinkering or gunsmithing. It's, it's about actually doing the shooting part of the shooting sport, not the tinkering part and gunsmithing and, and all that. And so you, you look at something like limited optics where basically it's, it, it is, it is smack between two divisions that already exist. You already have carry optics and you already have open. If you absolutely want to shoot your slide ride 2011, it is, it's legal in the sport already. But then you look at something like say production, right? How is, how is production different from limited optics? Well, at the time production was, was introduced, there were only two divisions, limited and open and production didn't split the difference between the two of them. It was way on the other side of limited from open. It, it, it expanded the window of viable competition. Limited optics doesn't. The window already included all of these guns if you chose to. It just makes a teeny tiny little carve out in the middle of existing stuff you could do. And so something like production is completely different. It's not just a new novel thing. At the time, there were people saying either people trying to get into the sport or people who just maybe necessarily didn't want to keep chasing custom guns as they evolved every year. There was this demand for a, a simpler stock gun division, a place, yes, you could have taken your Beretta 92, your Glock 17, and, and shot limited minor. That is true. But there there was no place for the person who wanted to shoot a relatively stock gun in 9mm and be competitive. Whereas if somebody today wants to shoot a slide ride optic 9mm gun and be relatively competitive... They can't do it with an Infinity, but they can do it with a CZ Shadow 2. They can do it with an M&P. They can do it with a hundred different guns that are all already viable in carry optics. So the, the, the point is production, a- adding divisions in that way that actually recognize new areas of competition is is fundamentally more of a, a mastery-focused exercise. And I think we saw that we, up until production went off a cliff in 2017, 2018, it was one of the premier divisions. It was, it was the stock car division. It was the place where if you didn't want to tinker, you didn't want to to mess around with guns and chase springs and followers and have to clean your mags every stage. You just bought a production gun. You got five or six mags because it's a 10 round division and you have to do that. But whatever, we didn't care. We just, we played the game. It was, everybody else was doing it and you just sucked it up because you knew it was fair. Everybody else was shooting under the same restrictions. And it didn't really make any sense after the, the assault weapons ban sunsetted, but it was arbitrary, but it was fair. It was equal. And so we just did it. Now, obviously, carry optics came along. 140 millimeter magazines kind of sucked all the air out of that because, hey, more more bullets equals more fun. And we are where we are. But I still think that there is hunger. I still think if we had a viable stock gun division something equivalent to IPSC production and production optics, there would be demand for that, just like there is in every country except the U.S., where production is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, division. But anyway, we've already talked about that. So the the last case study here of novelty versus mastery is the classifier system. So the mastery approach to the classifier system, which is what I've been advocating, would be having fewer classifiers than we have now, but having each of them be very well refined, having it be so that you really trust that when you shoot a classifier, the high hit factor is reasonable and doable. It wasn't set 
20 years ago by a bunch of guys swinging for the fences. None of this, oh, it's a 99 series, so it's all shot up. You actually would believe that regardless of whether the classifier was new or old, the hit factor was set precisely and accurately. And nobody nobody believes that about the classifier system currently. And part of that is the fact that there are so many classifiers. I think there are over 90, like 94, 96 active classifiers, which is, it's just, it's it's not useful. There's no point. That's a, when you see that many options, that's that's a novelty focus. And when you see more and more classifiers being added every year and trying to do new and fun and interesting and different stuff with them, obviously the focus of the classifier system for as long as I've been in the sport is on novelty. It's about doing things that haven't been done before, even though maybe they haven't been done before for a good reason, as they say. Some of these newer classifiers that have setup issues and are being set up inconsistently. I mean, even some of the stand and shoot classifiers get set up inconsistently. So when you start adding walls and fault lines and distances, the the, the problems just magnify. But it's it's obvious that there there isn't even that balance of mastery. There there is there have been hit factor tweaks over the years, but to me, the the classifier system is vastly underappreciated. And I think that's mostly because people have just kind of stopped having trust in it. People don't really put that much stock in classifiers because for one reason or another, they don't feel like it's it's something that they can actually reliably trust, which is crazy because every single member of USPSA interacts with the classifier system. Even if you never shoot a level two match in your life, you interact with the classifier system every time you shoot a match that has a classifier. And so the fact that it, it it's the only thing that comes even close to the rule book in terms of actually every single match, every single person, actually it has some effect on them. And we just kind of treat it like this forgotten thing that, yeah, we kind of have to do it and we'll come up with some new classifiers. And yeah, we know a lot of the old ones are janky or broken or the diagrams were rewritten for PCC and they're not correct or whatever, but eh, just ignore those, just run the new ones. It's not the way that it should be. I mean, when you pay for a membership, what are you paying for? You're paying for primarily access to the classifier system, right? You can shoot as many club matches as you want. You can get your scores. The only two reasons to to sign up and pay your pay your membership fee are access to the classifier system and to be able to go shoot level two matches. And obviously way more people participate in the classifier system than, than shoot level two or above matches. And so... To me, the, the if you were to apply this mastery approach, like I said, to the classifier system, it would be focused on really honing and making sure that it's as good as it could be, not making bigger and bigger changes, but making smaller and smaller ones, making finer and finer refinements until people feel like they're actually paying for something worthwhile. And I can totally see that you would say, you know, let's say we get to a point where we've got 20 or 30 really well-tuned classifiers that have the the diagrams are crystal clear the wsbs on them are bulletproof and they're the the setup issues are as good as we can get them obviously human beings are doing it and not everybody reads the diagram the right way but ideally you 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 would iron out as many of those issues as as could be could be resolved you get all of those ironed out for 20 25 maybe 30 classifiers then maybe every year you cycle out three or four and introduce a few new ones. Kind of like a, 
uh, video game, you know, season pass type thing where people feel like there is a little bit of turnover and, you know, there, there is something new. I, I Part of me is certainly nostalgic. I, I feel a sense of kind of history and connection shooting some of these old 99 series classifiers. There's a there's a part of me that thinks that's kind of cool, but I get it. Not everybody is into old stuff and and you want to balance that novelty and mastery mindset. And so I can totally see that you would want to go through a process. And and I do think that the, the the process that we've been following the last few years where the classifiers are released provisionally and they gather a bunch of data and then they use that data to set the the actual hit factors, I think that is a a better approach versus doing something like running it at nationals and then just taking, you know, whatever the the, the winning score at nationals was and setting that as the high hit factor. I think there are probably ways to use nationals data to better inform what a high hit factor should be, but I, I don't think I don't think the way that it was done in the past was was the right way. But again, it just blows my mind that we all just are used to the classifier system kind of being crap. And and even me, I mean, it's only in the last few months that I've really started to scratch my head and look at it and say, why why do we put up with this? I mean, to me, the, the, you should feel like the classifier system is is a little miniature postal match that you shoot every match you go to. And I mean, there, there are things you could do to enhance that. I mean, certainly it would, it would be interesting if USPSA had some kind of program where the classifier of the month or the classifier of the week, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, every, every week, you know, you have 52 weeks on the calendar and each week you encourage all the matches running that week to run this one classifier. And then you have some kind of leaderboard and you say, Hey, the person who shot the top score this week in this division was this guy at this range. And, and it's, you know, it could be a social media post or something, but, but it's just a way to get people engaged and involved. And it could be El Prez. It could be an old classifier, but you could take this approach and just get everybody excited about it. And I I think there's, there's so much that could be done with the classifier system, but instead what we see is, is what we see where it's just adding new stuff, adding a lot of new ones with, you know, tricky setups that are very sensitive to, Hey, are your walls eight feet or are they, are the, they eight feet and three inches because you build them with the two by twos on the outside instead of cutting the, cutting the eight foot, you know, I mean, it's all of these little nuances that start to really matter when you have these setup specific newer classifiers. I get it. Like shooting, shooting fun stages that are technical is interesting. Shooting 24 round classifiers, I don't think is particularly interesting. And there again, you, you know, it's, there's, there tends to be a correlation between high round counts and novelty seeking as well. I don't exactly understand why. Um, I I mean, I I think you, you tend to see the people that really value mastery can look at a 12 round short course and say, Hey, like this is, this is a tough test of skill. Even if I don't have to shoot my 140 millimeter nine mil mag empty and, and do a reload, I, I can actually have a a test of shooting without having to shoot to slide lock or do a reload. Like, wow. Okay. Like there's, there's something there. And so, yeah, I mean, anytime you, you see high round count stuff, whether it's classifiers or stages, it tends to be, you can, you can uh, smell the, the novelty seeking tends to be adjacent to it. Again, I don't know exactly why, but the, the, the two seem to go hand in hand. So those are just a couple of examples, but it, it, this is sort of a filter that I've started seeing the world through and, and that I, I feel like I see more and more when I'm looking at a decision about, oh, you know, when, when someone talks about moving a match around year to year and, and having it in a different place every year or 
oh, some new gun or new division or, or anything. Anytime you see something new and you scratch your head and you say, well, is it actually better or is it just different? You can start evaluating whether something is is sort of being guided by this quest for novelty or this quest for mastery. And I think at the very least, we need some folks on the board, some folks in the room making decisions at the highest level of the sport who are focused on mastery. I don't think it needs to be everyone. I definitely think we need voices in the room that say, yeah, okay, that change might be nice in your fifth or 10th year of competition, but we need to not leave out the guys who it's their first match or their, their first year of competition, which got it fair enough. We need to balance the two, but I, I I think it's pretty without question that we've been focusing so much on the novelty, so much on new shooters, so much on lowering the barriers to entry. And, and I think we, we need to have a balance of the two and we need to orient some of the systems in the sport, like the divisions, like the classifier system, like nationals, more towards a mastery focus and less on a, on a novelty focus. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is bennettberryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.